talking sports as they report back and forth from their home court they talk the sports if you're not sure they talk of sports and then talk more about all sports east west south north ryan talk sports andrew retorts and torchel here as they both sort through all the sports they both support the walk-ons what's up guys i'm ryan reeves and welcome to the walk-ons podcast it is friday june 11th 2021 we've got it all cooking today nba playoffs second round julio jones is officially a titan MLB Spider Gate or Spider Tech Gate, whatever you want to call it. We've got more on that. We might even mess around and hit some NHL playoffs as well. We're also going to talk trading cards. Yes, trading cards with our great friend of the show, Chris Carlin, a little bit later. But right now, Andrew Schuster, I got to give you credit, my man. You were so brave last week stating that your beloved Denver Nuggets would be in big trouble in their second round matchup with the Suns. And well, you're 100% right so far. So how much does it pain you to be this right on something that no doubt rips at your heartstrings? Well, I don't know if I was right because I picked them in six and it's not going to go six. Um, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a bummer, but you know what? At the, at the end of the day, at least they, it's like, we get why. I mean, they're missing Jamal Murray, as I described last week. He is the engine that runs that offense. And in, in as much as Jokic is the MVP, he can only do so much when he's playing with three guys they basically found at the YMCA. So I wish it was a little bit better showing, but at the same time, it's like, we get it. You know, and I don't have any faith. I don't have any doubt that next year, once everyone's healthy, they'll be right back to being one of the best teams in the West. So I'd love to see them win a game just so we don't get swept. But, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here, you know, oh, woe is me the the the, the season's over. My life is over type mentality. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have to, you know, call and get a proof of life from you here after you potentially get swept. But I think you'll get one on the board at least. You may end up being right in there and the Suns win in six, but I just think they're so tough. And really, I mean, I just think all the credit really goes to Phoenix and, and really the engines, Chris Paul. I mean, we mentioned this maybe a couple months ago when we were halfway through the season and it was like, is, is Chris Paul like underappreciated? Is he not getting enough love for MVP? I think that is even exacerbated even further now. I mean, you've got young guys, there's limited practice this season in the truncated season. I mean, he's aging a little bit and usually you don't see guys – most of the guys who are successful older in the league, like Carmelo Anthony, you know, he's just shooting threes all, all over the place. But uh, Chris Paul is the engine that drives that team. And Phoenix really looks like a legitimate championship contender. Don't you agree? Oh, they look great. But the one hesitation I do have, and it's nothing to do with like me de- discounting them because they've actually blown us out. They blew the Lakers out is, is they're playing two teams in a row that, are without many important players. You know, literally Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, second best player, which not to discount their play, but what I'm, my point is going to be is they're not playing any tight contested games right now. And considering their lack of that in the past as well, I mean, this is really their first big playoff run. I'm really interested to see what happens when their back is against the wall in a tight game, when they're going shot for shot with a team like Utah, who they're probably going to play in the next round. I mean, Utah is playing a little bit of these tighter games. They did it last year against Denver in the playoffs. They did it. They've done it years before. So I don't want to 100% put all my money on Phoenix winning the West or anything because we really haven't seen them play a team at full strength where they're getting kind of put through the ringer. And that's really a true test you have to go through in the playoffs. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. But look, the NBA playoffs, like any real postseason for you know professional sports, it's a battle of attrition, right? Guys are going to go down. You just hope it's not the stars, but that it is what it is. And, you know, I'm not going to fault Phoenix for, for other teams that they're playing, you know, having being down stars. I think they've been very, very interesting, very, very compelling, and they are legitimate, but you're, you, you mentioned Utah, right? They're up 2-0 on the Clippers. Donovan Mitchell, Spida, he's been special in this series. I mean, he's just 
exacerbating this legend there in Utah. I mean, I've already seen, I think Stephen A, who take that with a grain of salt, he already tweeted that Donovan Mitchell is the best player in the history of the Utah Jazz, but take that what you will. But he has been very, very good. And on the other side, Paul George has been eh, and Kawhi has been pretty good for stretches. But I guess from that standpoint, look, I think this series is over. Maybe the Clippers get one or two and this goes five or six, but Utah is the better team. It's clear. If the Clippers bow out in the second round again, which really looks like they're going to, I mean, is the Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard PG experiment, is that, is that an epic failure? I mean, I don't see them running it back next year if they get swept out of the series, especially. Oh, I think it is an epic failure because they went so out of their way to not just make the move and really like, it's like, oh, we're here to contend, but they milked it for everything. You know, they had the, the Kawhi billboards. They had the, the commercials where they were like, this is our town now. And if they go second round two years in a row, especially after last year where they just got their asses handed to them after having a 3-1 lead, it, the, the optics are just so bad. And even though they would still have progressed farther than the, the Lakers in this postseason, it's still a failure. And I really don't think that they're going to, especially with Ballmer, who's kind of a reactionary owner, He's not going to sit there and be like, oh, we're just going to run it back. I think there's going to be some heads that are rolling. I think they're going to do everything in their power to keep Kawhi, and I'm sure they'll try to find a different star to pair with, with him. And, you know, maybe they'll keep Paul George because on paper, he still should be a player you want to have on your team. But, you know, we just know he's, he's got that name, playoff or pandemic P for a reason. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a failure. I mean, it really is. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that scary, the scary C word, right? And it's not the ones maybe that you guys were thinking, see you next Tuesday. It's chemistry. Uh, for whatever reason, this team just does not click. And Ty Lue does not seem to be the guy who's going to lead them to the, the promised land. Not that I ever thought he was going to be anyways. But yeah, like you said, I think Ballmer is that kind of guy who he, if he sees his team get swept out of the series or lose it regardless, uh, that's a guy who's going to make some moves. And I don't think it matters one bit that they made it one round past the Lakers that's just silly they're always going to be the little brother until they win a title and it may be a long long time before that happens let's look over to the east really quickly so Brooklyn they're up 2-1 on Milwaukee Milwaukee squeaked one out yesterday man they, they did their best to give that one away too this was supposed to be the series of the year Brooklyn is clearly the better team they've dominated uh, I mean Kevin Durant is being what Kevin Durant is and James Harden hasn't even taken the floor for more than what two minutes and this is just it looks like a lopsided series look talking about a team like the Clippers who just can never seem to get over the hump I think Milwaukee really is that on the other side right you've had Giannis back-to-back MVPs you know thinking oh Drew Holiday is maybe the piece that they've been missing to get them over the top but here they are running up against the Nets and looking like they're just getting bullyballed. what do you make of, of the, the Bucks? do they even have a chance in the series I mean, I guess they have a chance because they still have game four to, to even it up that's at home. And But, like, anyone with a brain is like, no, they're not winning this series. I, I think they caught the Nets on a bad night, and they also got a lot of help. There was some weird officiating going on in that game. I've heard multiple people mention that they think that game was rigged just because the NBA is desperate to make it a series. Um, and, yeah, I, I think the Bucks. I mean, we, we pinpointed the problem before the, ser- the playoffs started of, oh, Boonholzer is not the coach to get the most out of these guys. And – they looked great in, in the first series, but that's probably more because Miami was just a show of themselves from what they were last year, even though they were the team to beat Milwaukee. And I think it's just, it's one of those where Giannis is a transcendent talent in terms of his physical school skill set, but is he really the clutch guy that's going to, you know, put, put the team on his back and win a championship? I guess that remains to be seen because they do have Chris Middleton. They do have Drew Holiday. They have good role players, 
And maybe it is just the coaching is not putting them in the right situation, but it also could just be, he's not really built to be that LeBron James type player that just takes the game over when his team needs it. And, you know, you'd think if there's anyone who can stop KD, it's him. And he's been able to do anything but that. Right. Or as KD said, don't ever compare me to Giannis, which mm-hmm. is, which is really true. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like Giannis, right. Is that kind of guy, but you, you touched on one thing that I've been thinking a lot about, right. And I'm not going to go so far as to say, Oh, the NBA is rigging this. They need a series, but this series, especially if Brooklyn went up 3-0 yesterday, this is the absolute worst possible thing that could happen for the NBA, right? You, the, finally, we had that a little bit of excitement over the play-in tournament, regardless of whether you liked it or not. Some of the three out of the four of those games were awesome. It really just doesn't, it seems like it's Brooklyn and everybody else. I mean, you know, you got Utah in the West, you've got Phoenix, but it really just looks like Brooklyn is, you know, bunch of high schoolers who came out to play with sixth graders it's just it's not fun the games aren't exciting James Harden isn't even playing and they're just crushing people Milwaukee was supposed to be that the one who was going to be the potential roadblock for them but I do not see the rest of this playoffs being anything that the NBA wants to see and it's basically just going to be Brooklyn steamrolling everybody I don't care if it's Philadelphia or Atlanta in the next round they're going to get steamrolled they'll probably get swept and I just I think this is a very very bad precedent. This we've we've talked at length for the last ten years about super teams, good for the league, good for not. This is one super team in Brooklyn that I think is absolutely positively horrible for the NBA. I I agree, but I will just take the opposite side for one point that I think could be interesting to explore, which is what if they're kind of set up to become like the evil empire? Like they literally <laughs> have the black and white colors. They're the, they're just the, they're the villain. They're going to be the villain for the next couple of years. And I I like. I think it would actually be really fun if you got one of these smaller market teams like Utah or Phoenix that are kind of the underdogs and paired them up against Brooklyn. And if they could make that a series, that would, I think, be really fun. I don't know if you're going to get the casual NBA fans to watch, but I think the, the people who are really invested to begin with would eat that up. Now, I know that doesn't really solve their ratings issue, but I think if there is one thing that Brooklyn can bring to the table is kind of that uniform villain that everyone, the other 29 teams are all you know, have that target on their back, um, kind of like what the Patriots were for 20 years. And I'm sure Seamus likes that reference, but uh, I mean, that's what they were. They, you, you love to hate them and it, you could commiserate with even your team's biggest rival over the fact that there's this other team that everyone's chasing after. So I agree. It's, I would love more parody, but there is something intriguing to kind of a, just there's an outright villain literally has the colors of Darth Vader and, you know, everyone's shooting for them. Sure. Yeah. I, look, I think that would be fun to see a team like Phoenix or Utah if they go up against them in, in the finals and, you know, give them, give them a series. I don't think they will, but that would be nice. I guess the, the only counterpoint that I have to, to your thing, Andrew, is, yeah, everybody likes a villain, but nobody likes to see the villain win every single time. And that's the kind of villain that they've created there in Brooklyn is just somebody that can't be beat. So that's not the kind of villain that you like to see. But let's talk one other villain who is out there in the Atlanta-Philadelphia series. It's Trey Young. Ice Trey, dude, he's established himself as one of the NBA's not only elite point guards, but elite trolls. I mean, the dude loves getting booed. It's almost like if you if you're on the road, if you're hosting Trey Young and the Hawks, just shut up if you're a fan. It's like he feeds off of all this vitriol and all this hate it just makes him better. So maybe just be quiet when he's on the floor. Not that anybody's going to do that, but it just it seems like it's just feeding the fire. And I, it looks like, you know, Embiid certainly he went for what 45 in game one on that torn meniscus but he doesn't seem to be the same player uh, certainly Ben Simmons has not been the kind of guy that that the the team would like to see or the fans would like to see Doc Rivers is on his way for another early exit in the playoffs with a really talented team I mean do you think 
this is a series where Philadelphia can actually win this? Because I don't. I think so. I mean, it's it's 1-1. I know you don't want to ever lose that first game and, and lose the home court advantage. But, I mean, there's still plenty of games we play. This could end 4-1 Philadelphia. And next week we're talking about, like, oh, my God. Yeah, the, the Hawks weren't even – like, they, they were only in the second round because they got to play the Knicks in the first round. I mean – I really, as much fun as they've been and as, as cool as it's been to see Trey Young kind of become the next MSG villain. I mean, if they're in the Western Conference, I think they would have been like the seventh best team. Like it's it's probably just a, a mix of the right circumstances for them. And to be fair to him, he's absolutely capitalized on the stage he's been given, but it is 1-1. I don't want to like say for certain one team clearly is looking like they're going to win this series over the other. And if they do beat Philadelphia, then I think the Hawks have definitely arrived and will be one of the better teams for the next couple of years. And we're definitely saying Trey Young is, is a premier point guard in this league, even though I still don't get why they traded Luka Doncic for him. But that's another discussion for a different time. Yikes. Yeah, that still certainly doesn't. That's not something that aged well, even though Trey Young has kind of come on. But hey, if you're going to give Philadelphia, or if you're going to give the Hawks little credit for getting past the Knicks, you got to give as little, if not more, for Philadelphia getting past the Wizards. Yeah, Russell Westbrook's over there shooting bricks one of the worst shooters from behind the arc in NBA history, even though he's very exciting putting up triple doubles, but that's not exactly an exciting thing for Philadelphia either. And that's a team that on paper, look, they should win this series. They are the better team. I mean, Ben Simmons, Danny Green, who shoots the lights out, Seth Curry, who's one of the best shooters in the NBA all of a sudden, uh, they are the better team on paper. But when you get on the floor, it just doesn't seem like they are. The Hawks are tougher. They're nastier. Trey Young is just shooting the lights out. John Collins is inside Joel Embiid's head. He's setting up a mansion there right now. I just don't see Philadelphia, even for everything that they should be, they should win this series going away. It should be very easy for them, and it's it's not going to be, and I don't think they're going to win the series at all. But we are out of time on that segment. Let's jump over to our interview with Chris Carlin from Upper Deck. All right, our guest today is a great friend of the show. He's also made a living off of one of my childhood loves, trading cards. He's a 23-year vet of Upper Deck as the company's head of customer experience. It's our boy, Chris Carlin. How are you, Chris? Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here and a uh, big fan of the show and, uh, and uh, excited to talk a little bit about uh, everyone's favorite passion growing up, trading cards. I'll tell you what, man, it's definitely one of mine. I, I think I could probably speak for our producer, Seamus, and, and my co-host, Andrew. We, uh, we're big trading card guys, so this is, this is pretty exciting for us. So let's jump right into it. So certainly you work for one of the few industries that's, I guess, arguably seen a boom over this past year, right? We've, we've got the Tom Brady card selling for over three mil, a Wayne Gretzky card for almost four mil, LeBron James for over five million. I mean, Chris, where's all this money coming from? I thought this we were in a you know pandemic. Everybody's trying to hold on to the purse ring, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. What, what, we, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're in an industry where, you know, we're in a world where all of a sudden toilet paper, two by fours and trading cards are the hottest commodity, you know, going. And, you know, I think it was a reflection. I was very concerned about it uh, initially because uh, trading cards are a hobby. And if uh, disposable income goes on the back burner, uh, so do trading cards and people's hobbies. So uh, I, once the pandemic hit, I had some serious concerns about the future of the marketplace. Uh, but what I didn't realize is that People were nervous, people were scared, people were staying at home, and they weren't going on vacations, they weren't going out to dinner, and many people had, you know, they were able to figure out how to work from home, and many people had a disposable income that was just sitting there, and uh, people started looking for a way to maybe invest in their passion a little bit, but, but things that could take their mind off the news and everything uh, negative out there, 
And trading cards were like that comfort food, like that warm mac and cheese for everyone to, to go back to and, and enjoy. And what we've seen is just a, a tremendous surge in popularity in the category. Um, and, and in terms of where is this money coming from, people are realizing that trading cards are a pretty darn good investment. Uh, and again, it's fun to invest in something you're passionate about and, and you believe in and, and love. So uh, you feel like you're owning a piece of the athlete or a piece of the team, but it's pretty crazy. There have been venture capitalists over the last year in particular that have been starting hedge funds for trading cards. So uh, together you own a, you know, a classic type of card, a Jordan rookie, a Gretzky rookie, et cetera, uh, with, a, with a group. Um, and they have trading cards as part of their portfolio. So it's been a, a crazy situation. We're starting to see the market calm down a little bit. There's an event called the National Sports Collectors Convention in Chicago this summer and uh, at the end of July. And I think that is gonna be an, an absolute, just holy cow, crazy, crazy event. Uh, if you love sports, I would highly recommend that you make it out and you're vaccinated. Highly recommend you try to make it out for that. But uh, I think that could uh, get things uh, heated up again as we see more record-breaking prices for, for classic cards. That's awesome. And, you know, the other thing, too, that uh, always stays in, you know, kind of stays on the marketplace, even in a pandemic, is charity work. And obviously, you guys do a lot of charity with, uh, you know, the LeBron James Foundation, auctioning off his shoes. You've done work with Tiger Woods. And through that, I'm sure you get to work with a ton of just out-of-this-world memorabilia. So in your experience, what's the coolest piece of memorabilia you've gotten to come across? Yeah, there's there's some amazing one of one items uh, that we see that are that are pretty incredible. I, we after each of Tiger's uh, major championships, we'll get a, a FedEx box with his, the the tournament worn polo and pants that he wore during the event. Uh, so those are always cool to see. But but for me, we're really big about giving back, and in Upper Deck has always been about innovation. We're not the type of company that's gonna. Uh, just write the big check and walk away. We try to do things that are a little more unique. So uh, one of my favorites, and, and I'll show it to you guys, but uh, is uh, a, a piece that we created for uh, a charity uh, around leukemia. Uh, Jaden Schwartz is a, a pretty well-known uh, NHL player for the St. Louis Blues. What a lot of people don't know is he had a sister uh, who was a very good hockey player as well for Yale. And uh, unfortunately, she passed away uh, from acute myeloid leukemia. And uh, and we wanted to do something to, to help uh, commemorate her and, and help raise funds for the, the Be The Match cause. Uh, so we reached out to the family and we actually got one of her game used jerseys and were able to uh, let them, ha have them let us uh, put swatches of the jersey into trading cards. So we made game used jersey cards for Mandy Schwartz. And we also, for the family and uh, Upper Deck, we made some uh, blow-ups featuring the, the patches uh, from her jersey. So this is one of the patches that uh, that we had uh, made into an actual memorabilia piece. So uh, I, I love those those innovative types of ways that uh, that Upper Deck's been able to uh, help out others. I mean, we're well known for having the first autograph cards, the first memorabilia cards, the first cut signature cards, uh, but we like to be innovative with how we give back as well. That's awesome. I absolutely love that, Chris. That's that's really, really cool. Well, I want to ask you something that it's kind of maybe a little bit newer, right? You mentioned unique, but 
you certainly working for Upper Deck. I mean, you guys are the creme de la creme. You guys have been around for a long, long time. Something that's kind of new on the scene here in the last year is the NFT, right? And I don't really even know anything beyond it. So I guess you get to own a, a piece of a highlight and you spend all your money and you, now you have this highlight that you own. But as somebody who's made a living in this in the trading card game, right? This the sort of the old guard, old school, if you will. What What's your take on the NFT? Do you think this is something that's here to stay? You know, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, so NFT, non-fungible token. So what we're talking about is a collectible that doesn't exist in the real world. Um, it's not something that you can hold, touch, or feel, which, which for, for me is, is a tough one because I like to, to put that piece on my wall. I like to hold that card in my hand. So uh, it's a little tricky for me to, to just drop all the, my collectible strategy myself and to jump into it, but people definitely are. And, and Upper Deck will be a big part of that as well with, you know, some of the major athletes that we work with and Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Connor McDavid, uh, Serena Williams, the list goes on and on. Uh, so that is coming from Upper Deck. However, I, I think that uh, it has to be done right. And what we're seeing is a bit of a Wild West situation right now in that, that NFT space. Um, it is cool that uh, people can own these collectible moments. Uh, the tricky thing is that, you know, who are you buying them from? Are they going to be there for a while? And uh, looking really at the terms and conditions on those, on some of those sites with regard to long-term ownership of those moments, I think is really important. Uh, so Upper Deck will be entering that space uh, very soon, but it's it's a unique situation where I'm used to holding something in my hands, but the younger generation today is is dealing more with with you know in-game tokens and things along those lines. So uh, they're not as uh, interested in having something they can hold. They like something they can show off with their phone, with their tablet, with their computer, something that they can share on social sites. And that's what makes the NFT compelling. It's uh it's it's really kind of a community aspect about you know, who has the best card, but in a total digital space. Um, Upper Deck has been doing something in that space uh, where it ties the digital and the physical together. Uh, it's called UpperDeckEPAC.com. That's been going since 2015-16. And what really is cool about that is, yes, you're opening packs from your phone, your tablet, uh, your computer, uh, but you're not just getting digital-only collectibles. Many of the cards that you're seeing are actual physical scans of cards that are warehoused in a uh, storage facility in Washington, and you could have them shipped to you. You could trade them with collectors around the world. So uh, we saw what was happening with some of the digital apps initially, and we knew that we needed to tie a physical aspect to that. So uh, Upper Deck EPAC has been a, uh, a really cool way for people who don't maybe have a trading card store near them to enjoy the hobby and engage with other collectors uh, any time of day, anywhere in the world. That's, that's so cool. And yeah, to actually get your kind of input on it is so different than just, you know, two guys shooting the shit at the bar or something talking about you're actually living there and working with it. But I want to change gears a little bit because you, you told our producer Seamus this, uh, this little tidbit that I want to talk to you about. So you get to work with NHL players a lot. You attend the draft, the Stanley Cup finals, working with your job. And you're tasked with befriending some of the young guys, you know, getting them into the fold, getting their cards started. And uh, we heard you have a couple great stories about this. Well, we have uh, an event called the NHL PA Rookie Showcase. So we work really closely with the PA. And uh, it's, it's pretty neat. It's the first time these players are putting on their jerseys and hitting the ice. Uh, so we do photo shoots with them. We do 
uh, uh, video, viral videos and interviews and things along those lines with them. But a lot of the evening events are a lot of fun and uh, we definitely uh, kind of feel out the player there to see if, gosh, is this someone we might wanna have a spokesperson agreement with? Or are they, you know, how are they acting? You know, so it's kind of uh, uh, like a first date on, on those uh, events where you're trying to feel out the player feel out, you know, what type of character they are, you know, if they, uh, if they might be a good signer, if they might be a good person to do events with in the future. And, uh, and we just end up having a lot of fun with them too. I, I, I normally, uh, the, the team usually has me uh, cling on to some of the Swedish and Finnish players because of my Nordic looks myself. So uh, we have a lot of fun with that. So it's been, a, it's been a good event over the years. We weren't able to do it uh, this last year, but I'm hopeful uh, we can get back to it this year. I love it. Well, all the stuff that you're doing, Chris, with with you know everything, the ch the charitable work, everything with Upper Deck is is awesome. But let, let's kind of switch gears and talk about what really led us all here, right? And that's just being a fan in general, right? And so obviously you're from Southern California, big Lakers fan. This year was not a great year for the Lakers. They failed to defend the crown, lost to the Phoenix Suns in the first round. Huge offseason coming up here. Uh, you know, if you if you uh, look at Magic Johnson's Twitter, he of course seems to think that everybody on the team not named Anthony Davis or LeBron James needs to go. But from your standpoint, what do you expect this offseason from the Lakers? Are we going to have a huge shakeup, or, or what's it going to well, look like? Well, I will say the season was looking pretty good for a while, but then things <laughs> things got out of control. Things got crazy in the Valley of the Sun. So um, yeah, Upper Deck has exclusive deals with uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So uh, we were all cheering for them for sure. Uh, we also have a, a spokesman agreement with Ben Simmons. So uh, rooting hard for the Sixers against the, uh, the, the Hawks. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think, I think Schroeder's probably gone there um, for the Lakers. It's just, uh, but you know what? It's, it's funny. A lot of my friends, I went to school in Arizona. So they're all totally geeking out about the sun situation right now. But the Lakers have an uncanny way of, of reloading in, a, in an expeditious fashion that I don't think any other franchise has. So uh, it'll be fun. There'll be a lot of talk and speculation, but they always seem to, to get players that they weren't supposed to get. And, uh, and it works out really well. So uh, it's funny that Chris Paul is the one who uh, took them out when, when they could have had Chris Paul had it one not way. needed. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but this is like a great time of year. Like, I, I'm not loving the NBA finals right now. I'm really geeking out a little bit about uh, the Stanley Cup finals. There's some really cool storylines there. I mean, if Tampa Bay wins again, yeah, great. But if if uh, Vegas wins, obviously, there's going to be a heck of a party there. If Montreal wins, I think Canada may explode. Like, it, it will be insane. And, and then another fan base that has been neglected is this Islanders fan base and it's the last season they have at the Nassau Coliseum so it could be an incredible end to to that place you know that has so much history so uh there's a lot to watch and there's a lot to enjoy right now thank god we're not in this crazy where we were a year ago uh so it's a lot of fun to be a fan but yeah I, I think I'm geeking out more over the the Stanley Cup uh playoffs right now than the NBA obviously after the Lakers are gone well, I'm sure another thing you're geeking out about is apparently you, you, uh, you're a Titans fan and they had a slightly big move this week, getting a, an average wide receiver by the name of Julio Jones. Uh, first, my question is, you're from Southern California. Where did the Titans fandom come from? And then two, what do you think of the move? And, you know, did they get away with an absolute robbery by getting only a second and fourth round pick for that guy? 
Well, it seems that way. I, I think we'll see what happens when they when they start playing and seeing how they they mesh. Uh, but yeah, I I was a lifelong Chargers fan. I, I love the Chargers, and then to see them move to LA and just expect San Diego fan like San Diego and LA fans are like oil and water. We don't you know we don't always jive. So um, yeah, my wife and I took. Uh, we, it was funny. My wife was pregnant in the last season. And we, I had a sign that said, my son will not root for the LA Chargers. And we're walking around the, the stadium with that. And she's like, oh God, get me out of here. My feet hurt. And I'm like, no, we're making a stand. I'm letting everyone know. And, uh, and we took a year off. Uh, and then I have uh, a guy's trip. I take every year out to Nashville to see a game. And if you've never been to Nashville, get on, get, get on a, if you're the first place you're going, get to Nashville, especially if you're a dude, there's like 9 million bachelorette parties out there every day. It's, it's nuts. But uh, it's a really fun town, and uh, the the stadium is is really cool. You walk across a bridge, get there uh, from downtown Nashville, and it's a really really fun experience. A great team, and uh, a lot of excitement around what's coming this season. And man, I, I think it's going to be electric. You know, you've got you've they've had the running game, and now if they can get you know the air game going, it'll be uh, it'll be an exciting season for for Music City for sure. Well, you certainly chose wisely, especially now. It's looking better and better, your new your newfound fandom, Chris. That's awesome. But, hey, obviously you mentioned going to a Titans game. I'm sure that was awesome. But as some you've told us, told us this a little bit offline, right, you've been to some of the most iconic games in recent memory, right? What, what are maybe some of your one or two most memorable that you've ever been to? Well, I will start by saying I used to love going to the Super Bowl, not for the game, for the parties, because the parties are incredible. But yeah. – I had someone tell me that you should go to the NHL All-Star game because the parties are really fun too. So I tried that. And I gotta tell you, the NHL All-Star game is a lot of fun. Um, the NHL goes all out with their events, but it's one of those weird situations where the players kind of have anonymity uh, as opposed to other sports. So you're, you're walking in with, you know, like Sidney Crosby and other players. You're like, what is going on here? It's so cool. So um, those are always fun events, but my favorite games. Uh, the we I was at the uh, the Notre Dame USC game with the Bush push. Oh, the and, push! Uh, I was rooting for USC, and I I literally had a nun curse me out after USC won, and I, it was like I grabbed my buddy I was with. I was like, we have to get out of here now. Like it was <laughs> it was a powder keg situation. Uh, we were we were at the uh, the game, the magical comeback, uh, game six of uh, the Angels against. Uh, the Giants, and that was a crazy, crazy oh, game. Uh, rally Monkey. Uh, the Rally Monkey was, I, I believe in him. I believe in his power. I'm sorry, not everyone on the podcast does, but I'm here to tell you, he works. Yeah, well, I'm so, a Giants fan. I still see that Rally Monkey in my nightmares. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, he's uh, my kids. My, it's my, I took my kids a couple times this, this season, and they like it because the Angels haven't been playing so well. So they're always seeing the Rally Monkey, which is great. Um, behind. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But I think one of my one of my favorite games, I went to the Rose Bowl uh, with USC, Texas. And again, big USC fan. But to see Vince Young and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Lindell White and and, and just going back and forth, it was like a heavyweight match. Um, I couldn't believe what I was was watching. And even though USC lost, I still feel like we all won for having seen such an incredible, incredible game. So. I still look back fondly on that and uh, just kind of the end of that Pete Carroll run with the, the Trojans was 
was awesome to to witness. So um, even though they say that those games never happened, I know they did because I was there. So. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience to almost throw hands with a nun, and I'm glad you didn't because she would definitely have God on her side for that one. But Yeah, I would have uh, had a longer time in purgatory, that's for sure. Exactly. Well, we'll, we'll wrap this up with uh, one last question. I want to kind of leave it open to give you the floor, and it's the kind of talk about the new shoe you guys are developing with Michael Jordan, and just, you know, I'll just give you a chance to talk about it and let the audience know what you guys are cooking up. Well, yeah, I, I mean... Upper Deck's been working with, with Jordan for over 20 years. So we have a long history with MJ and um, we were looking at, you know, what, what's compelling and unique that, that we should create uh, that his fans are going to love. And, and right now there's a lot of sneaker collectors out there. So what we did is we took a, a pair of his retro uh, Brad Air Jordan 11s uh, and had MJ sign these. Uh, they look incredible. They're they're not for the the weak of heart. They are they are something that you would buy with a uh, a bonus or as an investment. Uh, so the the sticker price is twenty five k on them, but uh, they're they're pretty amazing. Uh, we've seen it's it's really funny to me that uh, about fifteen years ago, right when social media was kind of taken off, or there were message boards that everyone was on, uh, people were saying that Upper Deck is is uh, flooding the market with Jordan signatures and uh, that there's just too much out there. And what we've seen is that we really haven't. Uh, we knew that, but uh, the collector perception at the time was there's, there's a lot coming out. What we did was we sprinkled it in different releases and, and Jordan just doesn't sign a ton. So uh, we're starting to see that with so much more interest in the market, that one signature, that one autograph that everyone needs to have in their collection to be considered a, a serious collector is, of course, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. So uh, the value and cost of his collectibles has, has soared. And, and it's funny that when we, when we were at about this time last year, a little earlier, there weren't any sports on. And so I think the last dance helped, helped kind of waken up people with regard to how great Jordan was, especially uh, people in their 20s and, and even early 30s who maybe didn't get to, to witness uh, how, how special a player he was uh, and how dominant. So uh, it's, a, it's a thrill to partner with him and continue to come up with compelling new releases that, uh, that definitely uh, get people talking. That's awesome. So just for the fans out there, how does one go about getting their hands on one of those sweet kicks from signed by MJ? Yeah, you got to check out UpperDeckStore.com. You can uh, you can see the full array of uh, Jordan items, but uh, but those kicks are up there as well. Uh, as well as you know, it, it's we're not just about you know having an athlete autograph a jersey or a ball. A lot of the collectibles that we're creating now are are very innovative, very different. Uh, I would compel people to to try to take a look at uh, the items called the Show, which are a huge uh, huge uh, memorabilia piece that features an, a, a ginormous signature from the athlete. So we have a variety of those on the site. There are items called breaking through where maybe a, a puck or a ball is coming through the glass. So uh, it's not, uh, if you haven't been collecting for a while or, or looked at memorabilia, definitely give that a, a checkout because you'll probably find some things that you wanna add to your Christmas list or Father's Day list for sure. I love it. Always helping out the people. Chris Carlin, my man. Upper Deck legend, iconic games, a Scandinavian hockey player's best friend. You have a sports portfolio for the gods, my friend. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 
All right. Our thanks to Chris Carlin. That was an awesome interview. For those of you out there, you NFT nerds, if you want to check it out, go to the go to upper www.upperdeckpack.com. And for the other traditional fans, if you want to just check out what Upper, upper Deck has in store, go to www.upperdeckstore.com. Well, look, Andrew, all the excitement aside about everything that he was mentioning there, Chris certainly seems like he's got a special place in his heart for NHL. We haven't really touched on NHL there too much here on the show in the last couple months, but Hey, we are in the semifinals of the Stanley cup. So let's talk about it. Right. And I'm just looking across the board here. It's been, it's been a wacky season pretty much across the board. I think the NHL really more so than anybody they're reseeding. There's teams all over the map. We've got three teams that are traditionally in the Eastern conference and one from the West playing in the final four, Montreal, Tampa, the Islanders and Vegas. Who do you like? Who's your, who's your front runner for the Stanley cup right now? Oh, it's got to be Vegas. I mean, they just dismantled the Avalanche. I know I'm, a, I'm an Avalanche fan, but they, they were the runaway favorite all year long. And I think we're headed toward the Tampa Bay Vegas Stanley Cup and the, the grit and the determination and everything that is like has nothing to do with the actual way the game of hockey is played that Vegas showed. Told you they're a championship level team. And I, I think the series we all want to see is Vegas Tampa Bay. But as you we were kind of talking with, with Chris, there's so many fun storylines for, for these playoffs. Each team has an angle you can really get behind. It's, is Tampa going to defend their title and, you know, win their third Stanley Cup in the last 20 years? Is, can the Islanders win a Stanley Cup in the last year that they're in, at, at their original arena? Can the original premier team of the original six, you know, win their first Stanley Cup in a long time? And it's funny enough, they're playing the newest team in the league in, in the Stanley Cup semifinals. It's just I don't know if every year we have like really good angles for each team that's coming into the, to the semifinals. Yeah. I think that's exactly what I was going to go with. The, the, the true winner here is hockey fans, right? I just looking at this, the, the storylines behind these two, these four teams is awesome. I mean, if Montreal wins it for the first time in forever, you're just going to break out the Labatt blues and just have an absolute party North of the border. And as Chris said, it, Canada might just explode Tampa. Certainly they're the defending champs. They have been very good for, you know, here in these recent years, but it's still a small market team. Nobody really cares about Tampa. You see what the Rays try to do kind of, you know, being successful, but also kind of not really spending any money. Tampa's kind of been that same story. The Islanders again, awful forever they've just been the worst they were the little brother to the rangers pretty much for the last 40 years and they got the, the la they're closing down the nassau coliseum if they could send their their wild islander fans off with a with a title and with the cup uh i think that would be pretty special and certainly vegas i mean they weren't even a team three years ago and imagine what kind of party that would be in vegas if they win it so i think the true winners here are the fans i'm just gonna go off book because i really don't know i'm gonna say give me montreal give me the islanders for the stanley cup and let's just have one fan base who's just been dying for a cup to just finally let that sigh of relief out it'll be it'll be a sweet thing to see yeah i think that would be the like the two underdogs fighting it out would be really fun but i think from a pure just the two best teams if we want to see the most competitive series is probably going to be vegas and uh, tampa bay and those are two really good teams and they're two really you know veteran talented experienced teams that would be a really fun probably six or seven game series yeah you, you may be right but let, let's also uh you know not put the veil over over our viewers eyes here or ears because neither one of you neither one of us really watches that much hockey so you can't tell me that you're going to take a look and say oh well this is going to be the better series you don't know i don't know we just want it to be exciting i mean montreal if this was a, a normal playoffs they would be the seven or eight seed in the east and here they are in the finals so they came out of nowhere i think it's a great story 
who knows what's going to happen, but it'll be exciting. Playoff hockey, there's nothing like it. So that'll be really fun. But hey, let's jump over to the NFL. Obviously, Chris mentioned it. He's, he's a newfound Titans fan, which, boy, it's gone very, very well for him in the last couple of weeks. Julio Jones officially traded from the Falcons to the Titans for a second and a fourth round pick. Uh, now, my opinion, this was an absolute fleece job. Yes, the Titans took on his entire contract, which is interesting. It could have some implications, but you know, if you're going to give up a second and fourth for arguably the best receiver in, in the game for the last decade, you do it, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I think this certainly makes them favorites in the AFC South, though the one thing I'm a little hesitant about the Titans is their defense is leaves a lot to be desired. And when you're in the AFC, you can't stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but you, you need to be able to slow them down a little bit unless your game plan is we're going to score 100 and hope they only score 90. So I think it's really fun. They'll be exciting. They'll be a good NFL Sunday ticket team to turn on when your team's not playing. But the other thing I have is how is every other team in the NFL not do, pursuing a similar deal? A second and a fourth round pick. I mean, if you're the Packers, don't you think you could have done this in Aaron Rodgers? All this drama would have stopped. Yeah, you like, would think so. But the Packers have proven time and time again that they don't want to make their best player happy. And, you know, I actually kind of went down the rabbit hole on this, which I just find interesting just to add a little context to this. So Julio Jones traded for a second and a fourth. Brandon Cooks has been traded three times, twice for a first and for a second round pick one time. The Patriots gave up a second and two fourths to, uh, to trade up in the draft this year to get defensive tackle Christian Barrymore from Alabama. Pats also traded a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu in 2019. And of course, my Niners, they gave up a pick swap with Miami, two firsts and a third for number three. Yes, it's a quarterback, but you know, I'd, I'd take Julio Jones over an unproven product. Also, Bills give up a first, fourth, fifth, and a sixth for Stevon Diggs. So you really can't tell me that the, the Titans didn't get the better end of this deal because you look at guys like, I mean, Brandon Cooks, that one is unbelievable. He's been traded for twice for a first-round pick. You can't tell me he could even hold a candle to Julio Jones. So this deal is good any way you slice it for the Titans. And, yeah, maybe they don't have a great defense, but you're basically just describing the Chiefs to me with an awesome offense and a terrible defense. So the Chiefs has been in the Super Bowl two years in a row. So it might not be all that bad. But, hey, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers as well. Of course, this story continues to get murky. It, it's what we all kind of expected, though. Aaron Rodgers skipped all of Packers' mandatory minicamp. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of exhausted by the story, to be honest, Andrew. But do you have anything interesting to add to this before we move on? No, it's like watching an episode of, like, One Tree Hill or Dawson's Creek. It's just so much drama. It's so unnecessary. And like, this is really close to home for me because the team that everyone throws out that would get Rogers if they do trade him is the Broncos, which, you know, I'm on bended knee praying to God every single day that happens. But my input is just, you know, I, I think the Packers are just, they're dug in. Aaron Rodgers is dug in. It's just going to be a game of chicken who breaks first. And you have the president out here going out on the, the Packers website saying he's dividing the fan base. They have both PR machines working. It's just really going to be like, who could be pettier than the other and who's going to break? And I think at the end of the day, Rodgers is probably playing in Green Bay this year. It's like a, it's kind of one of those understandings of like, you play here this year and we'll trade you next year because Jordan Love is not ready yet. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a two month long saga and it's not going to end anytime soon. Yeah. If you've spent any time uh, looking at the reports out of Packers camp, it certainly seems like Jordan Love is not ready to go. He has not performed very, very well early on, but Hey, really quickly, I want to throw this one at you because Speaking of your beloved Broncos, I saw uh, a couple of days ago, Kareem Jackson was on Aqib Talib's podcast, and he said that Deshaun Watson, his boy, 
has told him multiple times that he wants to go to the Broncos. Kareem Jackson, of course, formerly with the Houston Texans, now cornerback in Denver. Do you think, Andrew, there is any chance that Deshaun Watson ends up in Denver? And do you think there's a chance that he ends up there instead of Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I guess there's some chance. It's not 0% chance. But a lot of the reporting that has also been reported is that Kareem Jackson embellished that a lot. I think he's he's open to Denver. If he ended up there, he wouldn't complain. But I don't think he's openly pining to go to Denver. I've heard Miami. I've heard Carolina. Those two teams, you know, were much higher up on his list of priorities. The other thing is I don't think Deshaun Watson's playing football for anybody this year. I mean, he still has to do all this, the civil suits. And then he's going to get suspended by the NFL. And that could be eight games. It could be a whole season. Who knows, depending on what they find out about what's been going on. And two, like the optics of it, do you want that guy in your team right now? I mean, he's going to play in the NFL again. He's too talented. And some team like the Cowboys or Raiders, which don't care about criminal records or anything, are going to pick him up. But, you know, like, I guess it's not a 0% chance, but considering kind of all the optics, I think Denver would much rather do the Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke competition um, then go for Deshaun Watson. And I still think Aaron Rodgers is option number one, but like I just said, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think it's just, like I said, it's a little bit of an embellishment. And at the end of the day, let's see if he even plays this year. Yeah. That, that was the funniest thing to me, right? I, I don't know. I don't know Kareem Jackson at all. So I don't know if he embellishes or not, but the funny thing is that Deshaun Watson's even talking to somebody like an old teammate, like Kareem and saying, Hey, get me to Denver. Like, bro, you're not even going to play this year. Forget about mile high. Think about the mile of freaking trouble that you're in. Like you, you were under, you're going to be under so much scrutiny, so much paperwork. You're probably going to get a half season, a season suspension. So yeah, maybe don't worry about where you're headed and maybe worry about uh, defending yourself against those 22, 24 women who are accusing you of uh, not being such a good dude. So yeah, that that's interesting, but we'll move on from that. Let's let's dip our toe into college football really quickly here. Certainly the big story this week, the committee is going to be meeting, I guess this week, somewhere, Chicago, Dallas, who cares? But the, the topic of discussion is expanding the college football playoff to 12 teams. Andrew, do you like it? I do. Um, I think what's really interesting is I think it's, it's, it's kind of um, one of those where it's going to be kind of like the NCAA tournament where there's a lot of onus on winning your conference, which I love. Now the conference championship games actually mean something. So for those who don't know, the current proposal, it sounds like, is the top six highest ranked conference champions automatically get in, which in theory is going to be all the power five conferences and then one group of five, the best teams. So like it'd be Cincinnati or a coastal Carolina, depending on who's ranked highest. And then the next six at-large teams. So it kind of, you know. Winners in six SEC teams. Is what yeah, but it, it, it kind of fits the mold of your, your conference gets some representation. And then also we get all the great teams. Like, you know, the SEC yeah, is probably going to have two to three, potentially four teams in the playoff each year. But if they're the, if they're the top 12 teams, I, I think we want to see that versus each conference getting two teams, which no offense to the Pac-12, probably can't field two teams to fit that mold. So I, I liked that on just the principle of fairness. It, I think it covers all the bases, but as we've seen, like there's a huge drop-off between the top three or four teams and the rest of the field. So while it might even benefit my school, North Carolina, I don't think you're actually going to get any instance where the 12th ranked team is actually in a chance or in a position to make the final four, let alone win the national championship. So I'm sure in five years after this is implemented, we'll be saying we should really cut down to six teams. You know, it's, we have to, there's, there's always going to be a problem with the playoff model 
Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're just going to have to live with what we have at the moment. Yeah, it's certainly a moving target, right? I mean, that's what they say. If there's four teams, teams five and six are going to be going to think they got screwed, right? If it's 12 teams, teams 13 and 14 are going to think they got screwed. But here, here's my take on it. From a fan standpoint, I love it. I love the, the opportunity for meaningful games for more teams going into the end of the season, right? The bowl games have certainly, that luster has been gone for a couple of years now. All the best players that are in some of those mid-tier bowl games are just sitting out and, you know, saving their body for the NFL, which makes total perfect sense to me. But the issue that I have with it, I do like it. I want to see more teams in there, but how's this for a stat for you? Since the inception of the college football playoff in 2014, 2015, there've been 14 semifinal games. 10 of those 14 have been decided by 17 points or more. So you can't tell me that by adding more teams to this, that we're going to get better games. I mean, we might just be seeing blowout after blowout after blowout, and everybody knows that it's going to be Clemson, Alabama at the end of the day. So from a fan standpoint, I like seeing more teams have a chance, you know, at the cookie, but this is basically like a one versus a 16. I mean, in, in a 64 team tournament for, for the NBA, for NCAA basketball, right. For March madness, it, it, the difference between one and 12 is astronomical. And I just don't want to see, as much as I want to see excitement, more teams, more playoffs, give me, give me more of that. Do not give me more blowouts. And I think that's probably what this is going to lead to. So that's a, that's a little bit of a dissident in me, but you know, it just, it, it looks like it's going to be ugly. I mean, you look at those score lines of those four, 10 of the 14 semifinal games and they are ugly, man. They are bad. So we'll see, but let's move on to our dudes and duds of the week. Uh, Andrew, take me with your dude. So I have I have two dudes this week because I, I had to shout out both of them. Dude. First is the GOAT, Nikola Jokic, the Joker, winning the MVP, even though the Nuggets are getting absolutely bamboozled in the second round against the Suns. But incredible season. He has defied all the odds. For those of you that don't know, and I really wish you would know this, my guy was drafted 41st overall, the highest drafted player ever to win MVP. And he was drafted in the middle of a Quesarito Taco Bell commercial. Like, you cannot make this up. Like, that is... That fast food restaurant is his actual spirit animal. If you've like seen Jokic, he's slow. He's just, he's the last thing you would expect from an NBA superstar, but here he is defying all the odds. There's never been a more perfect story than that. I mean, it just, it's unbelievable. And I think one of our other unofficial dudes of the week should be whoever figured that out, whoever found that on the internet, some, somebody with a lot of time on their hands, but that is true. If you see the video, they don't even put up, they don't announce the the name at all. They just, there's a Quesarito nacho commercial and it just shows, oh, Nikola Jokic to the Denver Nuggets. That is absolutely perfection. It's poetry in motion. Yeah. And then my other guy, which I, I think we have to announce is uh, Ethan Horvath, who is the backup uh, goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team and a fellow Colorado kid actually from the same area in Denver as I am. And he he's the backup keeper and had save after save after save, including the deciding one on the penalty kick with the last minute and over an extra time for the U S to complete their comeback victory over Mexico. He was, you know, the last guy you'd expect to be the hero. And he just was, was cool under pressure and he killed it. And that was a great win for the U S men's national team. Hopefully they can get some momentum going into world cup qualifiers. And, you know, it's always a good day when you, when you beat your biggest rival. Absolutely. And especially when we haven't beaten them in a big game in almost a decade, that, that one feels pretty good. So good on you, Norvath. Well, my dude, and this is, he's making a return to the, the dude segment. It's Kevin Pillar. Uh, obviously, we remember a couple of weeks ago when he took a 94 mile an hour heater right to his face and just bleeding everywhere. But my man doubled down, and I, I mean doubled down in two different ways. He homered twice a couple of nights ago using the same bat 
that he used when he got hit in the face. And that bat still had his blood stains all over it. I mean, it, it's such an awesome photo. You just see these blood stains on his bat and the dude's going yard, not once, but twice. So Kevin Pillar, you can play for me any day, my man. Yeah, you, you can't use uh, spider tech, but you can use blood from your face. Hey, whatever works, yeah, right. I guess, there, yeah, there's some sort of P. Somebody's going to have, have a problem with that. I'm sure if he keeps hitting home runs with that, they're going to have the, the bat check for, for blood cork or something. But yeah, um, my, uh, my duds of the week, it really hits hard for me this week, uh, is, is the Colorado Avalanche who just choke artists and uh in all the wrong ways they uh, they lost four games in a row for the first time all year after having a commanding 2-0 series lead and a late game three lead which would have put them up three nothing they gave up two goals in the last five minutes one week later another late game lead blown and two blowouts and they're out of the playoffs and this is now the third year in a row they've they've been bowed out in the second round and this is the, the, the most talented team in the NHL, top to bottom. No doubt. They have a finalist for the goalie of the year. They have arguably the best defenseman in the NHL. And they have arguably just the best player in the NHL, the best top line in the NHL. And for them to lose the way they did is just, it's pathetic. Um, a lot of my friends from Colorado were telling me I'm, I'm being a little overdramatic. And I'm like, no, this is like the 16-0 Patriots, you know, getting blown out by 30 points in the Super Bowl. It's, it's pathetic. You know, you, you have, there's different expectations you have to meet. They didn't meet him this year. And similar to like what we were talking about with the Lakers with Chris, I'm sure a lot of heads are going to be rolling that you weren't expecting off of a really good team. So just a, a huge kick in the balls this week from, uh, from my favorite hockey team. Huge kick to the plums, no doubt. And it must be a Denver thing to, to lose on big stages. But that's oh, it is. there. Uh, my doubt of the week, it's Eric Backus. If you haven't heard of him, you should. He's a rookie MLB umpire. He's only 30 years old, which is absolutely mind-blowing. I, I cannot believe a guy is actually on the highest level as an umpire at 30 years old. But yesterday, uh, during a play, he absolutely kneecapped White Sox stud and reigning MV AL MVP Jose Abreu during the play. There was a play at the plate. Abreu was trying to get around Backus and, and show uh, – Jake Lamb where to slide at home plate. Backus just throws the bat behind him and totally kneecaps him. It was, it was like a hit job, but uh, head on a swivel blue. Congratulations for being a 30-year-old umpire. You're probably the youngest maybe ever to, to umpire an MLB game, but he's had a couple tough opportunities. He, he got yelled at by David uh, David Ross, the Cubs manager, a couple weeks ago for some bad calls, and now he's kneecapping the MVP. so keep your head on a swivel blue. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for joining us. This is the Walk-Ons Podcast, Friday, June 11th, 2021. Our special thanks again to our guest, uh, Chris Carlin. I almost called him by his brother's name. We won't do that. Chris Carlin. And be sure to check out UpperDeckStore.com for all the best goods from Upper Deck. We are out. The Walk-Ons.